Hi, everybody. This is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries, a ministry of reconciliation where we study the Old Testament and New Testament together from a point of view of Yeshua HaMashiach, that's Jesus Christ. And we are an Ephesians 2 ministry. For in Ephesians 2, 13 through 14, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, that's Yeshua HaMashiach, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace in his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is the hostility between us. So what are we going to talk about today, Jerry? The thing that we're going to start with today is a discussion of the time of year that we are at. Um, for all of us uh, listening today, I uh, want to make sure that you know that on the Jewish calendar, today is the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, Rosh Hashanah Eve was Friday the 15th, and Rosh Hashanah is the one and only two-day uh, holiday uh, for reasons that become pretty complicated. Let's just say that a long time ago, before they could calculate the new moon, um, it was not known well ahead of time exactly what day the new moon would come. And so because of that, uh, the rabbis said that Rosh Hashanah would have to be celebrated for two days in order to make sure that we got the actual new moon correct. So... Uh, we are now on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, and Rosh Hashanah is the first of three fall festivals that come right in a row in the first month on the Hebrew, in the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. So on the first day of the month, we have the holiday called Rosh Hashanah. So uh, Rosh Hashanah literally means head of the year. Uh, Rosh is the head, and Shana is year. So Rosh Hashanah is head of the year. It is the festival that corresponds, if you have a Bible, we're looking at uh, Numbers chapter 29, where it says, On the first day of the seventh month you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It's a day for you to blow the trumpets. So the biblical name for Rosh Hashanah is Yom Teruah. Uh, Yom is the Hebrew word for day. Teruah is the trumpet. So Yom Teruah, the day of trumpets, is the biblical name for uh, Rosh Hashanah. It is the day that uh, calls the people in ancient times, calls the people to become aware that we are entering into a very holy, holy time of the year because on the 10th of this month is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur uh, we have already learned that yom is the word that means day. Kippur is from the Hebrew word kafar, which means to cover. And so yom kippur is the day of covering or the day of atonement. It is the day of the year when the high priest is able to go behind the curtain with the blood of the sacrifice, and he cleanses and purifies the inner part, the holy of holies, if you will, of the tabernacle and then later when the temple is built. It is the day when the high priest makes intercession for the people. He first offers the blood of a bull for himself and his sins. Then he comes out, he washes himself again, he offers a goat for the sins of the people. He carries that blood behind the curtain and he sprinkles it on the kippurette, the mercy seat, the covering seat. So the same word in kippur covering is also found in the name of the Hebrew name for mercy seat, the Kippuret. Is that the seat of the covenant, right? The top, the top part of the Ark of the Covenant? The golden yes. cover that sat on the Ark with the two uh, golden carabim at either end with their wings overspread. Exactly. And so uh, on Yom Kippur then the and that was also the dwelling place of the Lord on in where the the mercy seat is. Yes, I will dwell in the midst of them over the mercy seat. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, the 
high priest would go in first with uh, the blood of the bull for his sins, then with the blood of a goat for the sins of the people, and then he would come out and there would be a second goat that they had already cast lots, which one would be sacrificed, and which one would be sent off into the wilderness after the priest recites the sins of the people on the goat's head, so that the goat symbolically carries the sins of the people away from the camp. And through the whole ritual then, the high priest as mediator works atonement for the sins of the people, for, the, for his sins and then the sins of the people. And we are going to talk about atonement at a little bit more length, but let me just finish up then. Uh, following the Yom Kippur on the 10th day, then on the 15th day is what the uh, Jewish calendar calls Sukkot or Tabernacles. It is the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the final harvest festival. This is the big blowout for the year. This is the party when we celebrate the, the, the goodness and the greatness of God, uh, all of his glorious provision. And uh, traditionally, uh, Jewish people uh, come and build little shelters to remind ourselves of the time when we lived in these shelters in the wilderness. So Sukkot is is a uh, a really happy time. It's during the end of Sukkot is also the end of the Torah cycle and the beginning of the new Torah cycle. That doesn't appear in in the Bible, but it is part of the uh, traditional Jewish reading and understanding of how Torah reading works. So. These three uh, holidays come back to back to back, but what we call uh, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur now is called the Days of Awe. According to Jewish tradition, it is during this time that the books of life are opened and God is looking down upon us to determine whose name will be written for life in the book of life. Uh, it is a time for Jewish people to reflect, to humble themselves, and especially to uh, make things right between themselves and any people that uh, they may have offended, they may have uh, hurt in some way. It is a time to go and be repentant, to give forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness, and to really work at setting things right between ourselves and other humans. And by doing so, we are also uh, confessing that we have erred in our ways and we're trying to make things right with God. Okay, so there's a uh, special prayer that goes along with these holidays that I wanted to share with you also. Uh, it says, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Baruch blessed are you. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu. Uh, Adonai is that uh, name, the personal name of God, Hashem, the Lord, uh, Yahweh for some of you people who are listening. Uh, but Yahweh or Hashem, our God. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Uh, traditionally translated simply king of the universe. So many, many Jewish prayers begin with those sets of phrases. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, king of the universe. The prayer that is said at these special times of the year is called the Shehekianu, because that's the first word that comes after that, that set of phrases. So it says, Shehekianu v'kiamanu v'higianu lazman hazeh. So blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and brought us to this season. So the Shehekianu is, is kind of an informal name for this prayer. And as I said, it is prayed at any special time. Uh, it is prayed at the time of uh, firsts, so the first light of uh, Hanukkah, uh, first child, all kinds of uh, special situations. I was reading an article, though, that said, really, the Shehekianu is appropriate for each new day. 
because we have laid out in front of us a new day to watch and see what our providential God will do. So it's really a great prayer. I, I love it. Uh, and um, maybe uh, we can remember to say it more frequently. But anyway, uh, it is it is a, a, a common prayer now that many Jewish people will say uh, leading into this season. But as I said, uh, during the times of... Uh, the days of awe, it's incumbent upon Jewish people to uh, really look within and to do all that they can uh, within their power to make some sort of atonement, some sort of correction for themselves, between themselves and others, between themselves and God. And then on Yom Kippur, uh, Yom Kippur is the only biblical fast day. It is the only day in the in the Old Covenant in which the people are actually called upon to fast. Uh, and so Jewish people will fast that day. Uh, it, it's pretty severe. Um, they're not allowed to brush their teeth. Uh, I think I've read that they're not allowed to swallow their spit. Uh, I know that you are not allowed to wear leather shoes. They're too, too luxurious. So you, usually when you go to uh, synagogue, you'll see uh, the, the people walking around uh, in stocking feet or bare feet. So it is really meant to be a day uh, to afflict your, your soul, it says in, in, uh, in uh, Leviticus 16, I think is where it's uh, first laid out for us. The crisis of the destruction of the temple, second temple is, is what led the rabbis to abandon uh, blood sacrifice as necessary for atonement. Uh, remember, we have uh, the Bible's teaching about how to make atonement. God says it's the blood on the altar that makes atonement because the life is in the blood, and it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. When the temple was destroyed and it became pretty clear that there was not going to be another temple, uh, the rabbis were faced with a dilemma. We have no proper place anymore to bring a blood sacrifice. How can we make atonement? How can we make atonement? And it was out of that crisis that this rabbinic formula wa wa was uh, invented uh, that we, we would say that through prayer and through repentance and through tzedakah, charity, giving charity, uh, that these would be the, the means of atonement. And so atonement went from being uh, achieved between uh, this, this ritual of the high priest going and God making atonement for sins became a ritual now where basically I am doing what is necessary to bring about atonement for sins. A real radical departure from what the Old Covenant laid out for atonement and as New Testament followers of Yeshua, a very radical difference uh, between what we see Yeshua accomplishing for our own atonement. Lee, I know you have a yeah. Um, so um, when we go to temple, there's this communal recitation of sins for the sin which I've committed. And, and there's, you know, all of these recitation of different sins. And then there is forgive me, have mercy on me. So. You know, when we think about atonement, there is the the confession and the repentance, and um, but there's also that's what we bring to the table. So we bring to the table our fasting. We bring to the table our confession and our repentance. But atonement, like you said. Jerry is really the gift of God. I like the way Ephesians 2 says it 
by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is the gift of God, not by good works so that no one may boast. It's not our good works that we're fasting or even sincerely uh, confessing and repenting, which we do individually and we do as a group. It's, it's, but it's by God's mercy and his grace that he grants us this atonement. And as when we talked about a long time ago, when we were talking about the, the day of atonement and the mercy seat and the sprinkling of the blood, you know, well, what they brought to the table then <laughs> or to the mercy seat then was a sprinkling of blood. But the grace and the gift of God and his mercy was still what was the atonement you know mm-hmm. it it mm-hmm. it wasn't something we earned it was you know and 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 this is i think very important when we get into from the new covenant's perspective you know the grace that we receive and the mercy received by the blood of yeshua and you know the once and for all atonement. Amen. But Jerry, I would like to note on this that on on this on this atonement and sacrifice that the priests offered the sacrifice, and on the new on the new covenant with Jesus, God offered the sacrifice, and I think that's something important to point out. Yes. Um, Although we see Yeshua as our great high priest right. offering the sacrifice. Um, the, the thing that I, I remember you talking about, Lee, was your own experience, though, about your conscience and, and the uh-huh. difference between, uh, a, a, as, as a Jewish person before faith in Yeshua and, and participating in Yom Kippur, and as a Jewish person finally understanding who Yeshua is and understanding what his sacrifice means. Maybe you could talk about that a bit. Yeah, you know, I I mean, I always, Yom Kippur means a lot meant to me and I means a lot to a Jewish person. It's the high holiday. It is the most important day in our year. And, you know, we sincerely come to, most people spend all day in temple and they fast and they're praying all day individually and together and they sincerely are repenting and confessing and looking for God's mercy to be written in the book of life for another year and to, you know try to make things right and I would do that and then I'd leave you know temple and that night or the next day I'd sin again I'm like uh-oh now, what do I have to wait another year for the next Yom Kippur? How am I going to clear my conscience with God, you know, and be able to commune with God if I, you know, have a conscience that isn't clear? And, you know, it, it wasn't until really coming to understand how through Yeshua's blood, which paid the price for my sins and through his righteousness not my righteousness his righteousness and his blood cleansed me of my sin that I could have I could receive God's mercy and grace and be Mm -hmm. in right standing and clear my conscience not one day a year at Yom Kippur but every time I sincerely came to God in prayer and 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 to you know and to ask for the cleansing to have faith in the cleansing of Yeshua's blood for my sins but it also made me realize how precious that request was that prayer was that I'm asking for another drop of Yeshua's blood mm-hmm. for another sin and it really made me understand the importance of how obedience is more important than sacrifice. So, you know, I don't have to keep going and get another drop of blood to cleanse me of my sin. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it's pretty solemn when you realize every time we we do fall into sin that wow, that was that was really something that Jesus had to pay for that I just did something that cost him. And 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 it really I, th- I think that's the attitude that John is looking for in, in, his, in his letter. Let, let's be honest, we all sin. But if we'll just confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But to, to understand even the smallest thing that we do that's not in line with God's moral perfection is something that Jesus gave his life for, something that his blood was spilled for. Good point. Bob? No, it's a good point. I, thought, I just, but it's, it's um, and how God views us now after we know Yeshua. He He views us as a as a perfect vessel mm-hmm. in some sense, and and then when we you know ask for that forgiveness, it's a continual cleansing. Right, and we want to make clear that becoming a follower of Yeshua does not mean an end to sin in my life. Sadly. <laughs> Uh, we still stumble, we still are willful, we still are uh, rebellious sometimes, but God is faithful and just, and following Yeshua means uh, that we are looking constantly to confess and to move further along in Christ-likeness. Uh, I wanted to uh, point our, our listeners, what Lee was just talking about, especially the conscience. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is just such an excellent chapter in showing us uh, what the Old Testament ceremonies, especially around Yom Kippur, all pictured. One of the things that I like about uh, the Old Testament ceremony is to really take note of the fact that this is something that takes place only between God and his one designated man, right? He doesn't invite all the camp to come on up and see what's going on. He says, this is what the priest will do. My mediator that I have chosen, that I have given the covenant of priesthood to. This is between me and him alone. Right? Right. And so it's God's plan to work this out uh, basically uh, by himself. The priest is just there as the the go-between because he's not, he's not God. He has to bring his own sacrifice and put the blood of his bull on the altar first before he can be the go-between for the people. This is all God's work. It's all grace, all God's mercy. And so Hebrews chapter 10 really brings this out so beautifully how all of that pictured what Yeshua did on the cross. And I don't want to read the whole chapter, but here's what I want to focus on. <clears throat> A couple of places... Remember the priest, uh, there's no chair in the tabernacle. There's no chair in uh, the temple for him to sit down like, oh man, I finished my work and I'm all done. And that's what the writer to Hebrews picks up on uh, beginning in verse 12. Well, let me go back to verse 11. He says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Remember, uh, Yom Kippur is the day of covering. It does not remove sin, but it covers it. So, but when Christ, verse 12 of Hebrews 10, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So tying Christ the priest to Psalm 2, which is the anointed king. So now we have in Hebrews chapter 10, the priest king, like Melchizedek, who was a priest and a king, which we met earlier in Hebrews. But now here is Christ, the perfect priest king. He's waiting for his enemies to become a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so that gets into what we were talking about. We're not done with the power of sin in our lives. It is a wrestling and an agony and a fight all the days until we're finally caught up into, into the Lord's presence, either through death or his return. But Sin is always going to be a battle we have to fight, but we are being sanctified. We are 
growing in holiness. We're growing in Christ-likeness. Uh, growing in our sanctified has to do with calling, being called apart, being separated from, and not only separated from, but separated to. So we are called out of the world to the Lord. Lee, you look like you. Yeah, you know, and and in, 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 in Yom in Yom Kippur, when I would go to temple and fast and pray, I would feel consecrated, sanctified that day. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, walk out and sin again, and you know, and so the I think the real mm, transformative or regenerative value or of the blood of Yeshua is that it, by washing me clean, you know, I'd like not, I'd like to sin less and need it less and, and, you know, have, you know, a, a more holy, pure life as you're saying, but, but the value of the blood of Yeshua and washing me clean and in my, the value of, my faith in the blood of Yeshua that it washes me clean is it restores my communion with God. And, and you, you know, you made a point a week or two ago about how sin separates us from God. And the, and the, 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 the opposite happens with the blood of Yeshua is by washing us clean, it tears the veil mm-hmm. of the Holy of Holies and it and it allows us to have communion with the Holy Spirit. And, it, and it's that Holy Spirit that regenerates us into a new man. And so we can be used by the Holy Spirit for the good works, which, were pre- prepared, they, which God prepared beforehand mm-hmm. that we should walk in them. Well, you know, the verse in Ephesians that, uh, as you were talking, popped right into my mind is, it says, But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Yeah. But you know, one thing about, uh, I think, being sanctified and being and Yeshua living within us is, is the wonderful benefit of conviction. You know, that, that hey, this, this is what you just did was wrong. <laughs> you, know? mm-hmm. you need to acknowledge this and have, and, and I think that, in my life it's been a, such a valuable asset even though when I, early in my Christian walk it got in the way <laughs> but now I embrace it and love it and say thank you Lord just keep me straight mm-hmm. and, and you know that's one of the consequences of the restored the being restored to communion uh, with the Spirit is we don't have to suppress or repress our conscience push our conscience down when our conscience convicts us because i can't deal with a whole year of sin you know until next yom kippur you know so on yom kippur i'm confessing a whole year of sin i can't remember all the sins i've done in a year i can't remember all the sins i've done in a day and you know we you know we we need this cleansing Amen. this constant cleansing you know so that we can have that peace that only comes through that communion with the spirit and and it's like ha- not having this ability to have atonement, to receive God's grace and mercy through confession and repentance more frequently than once a year, it, it's a spirit killer. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. I think. And, and, and sin can be so destructive in our lives that we need to have that. You know, we absolutely we, need I mean, that's why God wants it out. It's, it's, it's destructive, and he wants it gone. So let me uh, build on that uh, back to Hebrews chapter 10. So remember the last thing we said, by a single offering, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He then quotes uh, from Jeremiah, this is the covenant I'll make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And additionally, he says, also from Jeremiah, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there's forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. So the necessity for the offering has been taken away 
because God has completely forgiven and will remember them no more. So then he goes on. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So now he's saying that this holy place that was the, the exclusive territory of the high priest once a year. Remember when Jesus died, the veil of the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, signifying that the way to God was now open, Right. Right. And so that's what he's ref really referring to here. Now that we have confidence to enter the holy place, I can go into where God is. It's safe. It's no more touch not the mountain, stand back. It's come, come, hmm. come, and, right? And we, and we can approach the, uh, the throne of grace boldly. Is that boldly, right? Dan? Right. That's in, earlier in Hebrews, but yes. yes. It, and that is a theme that, that is woven throughout uh, uh, Hebrews, the, this confidence to come. Amen. But here he says, we have confidence that go into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Yeshua, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Just what, what an awesome picture. And this, this, this goes directly to what you're talking about, Lee, about our consciences and how quickly things we do can start to give us a sick feeling in our conscience. And if we have to wait a year, either we become so weighed down by that or we become so jaded to it, one or the other, right? But here we, we have the Holy Spirit who, if we're honest, we allow him to, to put us in check, to, to use a phrase, to say, you crossed the line there. You're right. I'm so sorry. And my conscience is cleared at that point through the blood of Jesus, right? And now that we have this, 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 this assurance, let us hold fast this confidence, right? So this is what I love about this, this little section here is we talk about our relationships being vertical, being right with God, and being right with humanity, those made in his image. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here I am being right with God. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. The very next verse is, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Wow. Love God. Love your neighbors. All because Yeshua has opened the way through the curtain, which is his flesh. He's given the once-for-all sacrifice. The eternal blood of the covenant has been shed and spilled in Yeshua. And those of us who come to him in faith have our consciences washed clean. Yeah, I mean, not to, you know, when the second, when the temple was destroyed and the rabbis were, well, <laughs> well what do we do now that, you know, we're not, there's no blood there, Right. Right. And to think that somehow that all what that was written in the Torah about the blood. I mean, you know, we've talked about that. I don't even know how many shows we've talked about sacrifices and all the specifics of everything that's required. And to think that somehow that's lost importance. That's you can throw that out. That's not important. No, we need the blood of our once and for all atonement and you know you 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 said you know that god it was all god's plan and 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 you know that it was just god and the high priest behind the curtain and the high priest had to first make the sacrifice for himself so it wasn't you know anything special about that high priest he was the designated but when it's God and Yeshua, then and God, you know, you can say, oh, it was God's plan. Yeah, and God paid the whole price. 
through his only begotten son. Mm -hmm. He paid the whole price. So, you know, to think that my prayers of confession and repentance somehow by me being written in the book of life and atonement, that seems sort of proud on my part, you know? Not that I thought of it that way, but when I look at it from the point of view that God paid the whole price for my salvation through the blood of his son, for my atonement, so that he would, as you read in Hebrews, not see my sin anymore. It's a whole different perspective than I had going into temple fasting and praying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a new dynamic to do what he did. And he's always pursuing us. Even when we read back to Abraham or even to Adam, he's, he's continually pursuing us to get us right with him. And that's what I love. Well, Paul makes it pretty clear uh, in his uh, lengthy scripture quotations in Romans chapter 3. He quotes one scripture that says, no one seeks after God. And that's why God has to go looking. <laughs> if God didn't initiate, nothing would happen. Amen. I mean, I, I, that's sort of a true statement of everything. everything. The, the, the reason there is anything is because God initiated something, right. right? And God initiated a covenant with Adam and Adam rebelled against that, and God initiated another covenant, and that needed... Yep, he initiates and maintains all ad Adumbrations, I think, is a fancy <laughs> word that has something to do with uh, adding things to, <laughs> right. to the document, but, right? But you see God's heart throughout the Scripture like this, do you not? And, you know, and, and he, he clearly provided and set up the way. Mm-hmm the way through Yeshua, but if if you look at how, you know, he starts, you know, with Abraham and then Isaac, and we read about Isaac and, and, and during Rosh Hashanah, and then, you know, through Jacob and these 12 tribes and David and then Yeshua, you know, it's like he had to separate out a path. For salvation because and 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 he you know like even his warning to us to the Israelites when he was talking about when you go in the promised land and you conquer those other people destroy all their idols you know because he's trying to separate life or good and death or evil he's saying they are separate they do not mix you can't mix one seed with the other. Choose life. Choose life. But isn't it a sad but true testimony that those things that are uh, death and evil remain attractive enough to draw us in that direction? And we see it in Israel's history, how they're continually uh, going after the gods of the other nations. Um, and what happens as a result of that, and I think this, this is maybe the part that, that, that we haven't said as much, but ought to, ought to make the point, is the prophet's denunciation is not only the fact that you've gone after other gods, but that you, you have picked up the practices that go with those other gods, that there's an ethical component to whatever god you serve. So that the ethical component of the God of Israel is laid out very clearly, beginning with the Ten Commandments and then following through in so many other ways. But the ethical component of the gods of the nations have more to do with the kinds of ethics that we see at play in our larger world today. Might makes right. Money talks. Do anything you need to do to get ahead. Doesn't matter who you step on, who you squash, as long as it promotes you, right? That there's an ethical component to who we serve. And so when the prophets speak against uh, the, the, the gods that they went after, it's not only the gods that they went after, but the ethical practices 
that came with it and the failure to live up to the ethical standard of the true God of Israel, right? Moral decay leads to spiritual decay. And you know, if and, and this is how the intersection is with conscience and confession and repentance and atonement and communion is that, you know, if we don't have a way to clear our conscience, and I don't mean suppress it, repress it, you know, be buried by it, like he said, but if we don't have a way to develop our conscience, our, our morality, and to be convicted by that, by the Holy Spirit, you know, our conscience to be convicted in a way to clear ourselves, then we're so open to being persuaded and led by these different, these, you know... Whatever we call the spirit of the age. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but Jim, Go ahead. The last part in Hebrews, as you mentioned, is um, chapter 8, last part of verse 10. Let me, can I read that for you? It says, I will put my laws into their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. That, there's four lines right there. It's, it's, he's going to have to, inter- the next covenant that he makes through Jesus He's going to have to internalize his covenant. He's going to have to deposit his Holy Spirit to put his spirit into our, and write his laws into our hearts. And then, and then at the very end, he says, so that they will be my people. And that's, that's, that's the whole, that's the whole uh, Bible right there, is it not? That, that God wanted a people for himself. And I would say it goes all the way back to he wants a people for himself that are in his image. And his image is best represented by yes, you are. <laughs> uh, one of Lee's favorite verses about uh, Yeshua is the exact imprint and likeness of God. And our calling, according to Paul in Romans chapter 8, is to be conformed to the image of his son. And so when we talk about a, the, 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 people, the people of God or, 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 or people for himself, what we're talking about is people who mirror his image. And so we can't be like the world. And we have, to, uh, we have to have the heart and the mind of God to, to assess what the world is offering and seeing how far short it falls of life with God if we're going to love what God loves and hate what God hates. You know, and and our conscience is so important in that, and that's why this this idea of atonement and confession and repentance is so important because it's the conviction of our conscience that leads us to aspire to be more in line with the morality of God and to be obedient. And, and if we, in the, in the problem, like I said earlier, that I had with the Day of Atonement being once a year is, then what? <laughs> you know, then, then what do I do the other 364 days a year, you mm-hmm. know? How do, I, how do I feel God's grace and mercy without Yeshua? I mean, is it, am I always being burdened down by the weight of having broken the law? Mm-hmm. Or do I harden myself to my conscience and ignore it and, you know, be led astray? Yeah. I want to say that this verse, uh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope, is really part of the answer to that then. You know, how do I go through the whole year? without hope? How do I go through this year with no assurance that what I'm doing is going to be forgiven? How do I go through the year? As opposed to in Yeshua, we have a hope that God has cleansed us, forgiven us, and has set us on a path to life with him forever, right? Glorification. That we are going to... uh, 
we are going to one day finally be done completely with sin. I like to say that sin, uh, that, that God saved us from sins, from sin, uh, when we were uh, first believers, we were justified, we were saved from the penalty of sin. As believers who walk with God day to day, seeking him, following the Holy Spirit, we're being sanctified and being delivered from the power of sin. But finally, either at death or when Messiah comes back, we will be glorified. We will be finally delivered from the presence of sin. And that is the work of salvation that God is doing in each of us who follow Yeshua. We were justified at the beginning, free from the penalty of sin. We're walking with God now, being sanctified, becoming more and more free <laughs> from the power of sin. But only finally when we are glorified will we be fully delivered from the presence of sin. And that's what's going to make heaven so glorious. No sin. You know, and, and I think, Jerry, the, the hope that that gives me, mm -hmm. the hope and the glory of God, the being freed from the presence of sin, is, you know, what I hold on to, okay? And, and that God promises that his steadfast love endures forever to me. That's a glorious state to mm -hmm. look forward to. But what's this hope that happens uh, at the Day of Atonement? I would go, I'd pray, and I would hope I'd be written in the Book of Life for another year. And, you know, I think... I'd rather have the hope that I am written in the book of Lamb's eternal book of life, life right? Lamb's Book of Lamb's Life. Book. And you know, the other difference of a, in atonement that I learned that, that astounded me, really, and I didn't know this, and maybe some of my, or maybe a lot of my Jewish brothers and sisters don't know this, is I asked a rabbi, you know, what are the last rites that you give to a Jewish person on their deathbed. And one of the, they say the Shema, and one of the last things they say is, may my own death be atonement for my sins. And I just thought to myself, my own death versus the death of Yeshua HaMashiach's atonement for my sins, I think I'll take his righteousness, <laughs> not my own death. Well, even think about, may my wow. death be atonement for my sins. At Yom Kippur, I've been praying that I would be written down in the Book of Life. Somewhere between that Yom Kippur and the next Yom Kippur, I die. So clearly, according to tradition, I wasn't written down for life. And now that atonement didn't work. And now I'm hoping my death will be atonement. No wonder there is this fear and and, and anxiety about where I stand with God. And, 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 it's, and that's important because I don't know the verse in Hebrews, you probably do, it might be Hebrews too, but it says that Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, came to conquer the anxiety of the fear of death. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about like the source of anxiety that we have uh, behind it. You keep digging behind it all is a fear of death. But when you have life in Yeshua, because he is Chaim, he's life. When you have life in Yeshua, it he conquers that anxiety, the Amen. fear of death. Right. But, it's in Hebrews chapter 2. Did you want to say something? No, about no, it? I'm just agreeing with Lee. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Yeah. Wow. So we have a couple of other portions that uh, we were going to talk about uh, but we're kind of getting down to the end of our time together. Uh, so let me just say quickly <laughs> that two of the portions that are assigned to this week are the story of the birth of Isaac and the story of the birth of Samuel. And 
<coughs> Isaac is uh, connected very strongly with Rosh Hashanah. Uh, according to some uh, rabbinic tradition, Sarah conceived on uh, what became Rosh Hashanah. It wasn't Rosh Hashanah when, when, when this happened yet, because the law hadn't been given, but that she conceived on the first of the seventh month. Uh, that's, that's a little fanciful for me, but anyway, uh, the story of Isaac it really is appropriate here because it highlights the sovereign decree and activity of God, right? Years before, 25 years or so, before Sarah had Isaac, God had promised Abraham that his seed would be more numerous than the stars in the heaven. And Abraham had no child at that point. He uh, couldn't figure out how that was going to happen, but he believed God. Sarah pushed her maidservant forward, and Abraham conceived a son, Ishmael, or she conceived the son uh, of Abraham, Ishmael. But God said, no, it's going to be through uh, Sarah that I'm going to call forth. And God waited until Abraham's body was sexually dead, till Sarah's body was sexually dead, and really brought life out of death by enabling Abraham in his old age to impregnate his wife, and she conceived. And so this story of uh, of Nothing is too difficult for God is a really good story to remind ourselves at the beginning of a new year that whatever has taken place for us in this year past, still we remind ourselves, and, and what I really like about the, uh, the, the, the story there is it's, it says, uh, when Sarah laughed, God says, is anything too hard for God? But the Hebrew word actually is too wondrous or too miraculous for wow. God. Isn't that great? Is anything too miraculous for God? No, I, I created heaven and earth out of nothing. I, you know, if I want you to be pregnant, you'll be pregnant, right? And that's kind of the same story with Samuel. You know, here's, here's faithful Hannah going up year by year by year and praying and praying and praying, uh, Lord, remember me, because it was a in, in uh, y Yiddish circles, we, we would say a shanda, a shame to be without child, right? Take away my shame, give me a child. And we talked a little bit about maybe all those years were prepping her for her ability then when the child finally came, when God gifted her with a child that she would be able to turn that child over to, to the Lord. And again, a, a, a similar kind of story though, that God takes what looks like hopeless situations and breathes life into it. And of course, both of those stories uh, in a way foreshadow the beautiful story of the Virgin Mary and how is a young teenager really betrothed, not even formally married. You're going you're, you're gonna to be with child. How can this thing be? I, don't, I haven't known a man. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, right? And so this, these, these miraculous new birth stories, in a way, uh, seem fitting for a new year, don't they? But most of all, our Messianic compilers have joined together Luke chapter 22, the story of Passover, the, Yeshua's last night on earth, with the new year. And I want to spend the last few minutes talking with you about the fittingness of discussing not new life, but the death that brings forth new life. And Lee, maybe you could talk a bit about, because you've really been thinking about communion a lot lately, and some of the issues about conscience and taking communion and how those things really enable you to see things anew and afresh uh, through the blood of Yeshua. Well, you know, I was, I was thinking about the importance <laughs> of blood in, in the biblical story of Passover. Mm -hmm. You remember that the blood was painted on the lintel of the, Jew, of the Israelites' homes, and so their homes were passed over, and the firstborn 
was it son? Was it our firstborn all child? All the firstborn. All the firstborn. Remember, because the firstborn of the flocks also. All the firstborn were spared, and 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 how in Luke twenty two fourteen they're at Passover. They're at the Passover meal, and. Jesus says, when the hour came, he took his place. This is 22.14. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Remember, he is our Passover lamb. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, and, and that's where we'll end our, our portion today. But this is, he paid the blood price. He was not only our Passover lamb, but he, his blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. He is our mercy seat and the once and for all atonement so that through his blood and our faith in his blood, we are allowed the opportunity not just to commune with God by being cleansed of our sins, which is what happens on the day of atonement, but this communion every time we take the wine the symbolically is his blood to be cleansed of our sins and to be restored to communion but we are in communion with all other believers in the body of Christ and you know it's just a such a powerful sacrament and it's just under valued and it's so important as believers that we read this Luke 22 14 through 20 and we we value this sacrament that he's given to be our day of atonement every time we every take day. communion every day, every day. Yeah. which kind of brings us back to uh, the Shehekianu which we could say every day that you have kept us alive that you have sustained us and you have brought us to this season or this day, right? And that's what we're talking about with the blood of Yeshua, that uh, it is what keeps us alive and sustains us and what brings us to each new day. We're running out of time here, uh, and I want to make sure that we uh, just give our listening audience a chance once more to think about what we've talked about today. To understand that God is reaching out to you in love. He's done everything he can in offering his son to make things right between him and you. But there's one thing that God won't force, and that's you to come. You must come. You must come in faith. You must see Yeshua for who the Bible pictures him as the Son of God who willingly came as a sacrifice for your sins, who paid the price that your sins deserved, who through his blood, it says, we read it earlier, brought you near. You're far off if you are without Messiah. That's the biblical picture. But you can be brought into God's kingdom by putting your faith in him. So I want to ask you, if that's where you are today, if you would pray this prayer with me. Father, I'm so grateful for Yeshua, for I understand that he is the sacrifice that you gave, that my sins might be forgiven. I ask you now to forgive me, for I call upon Jesus as my Lord. 
and I confess that he is my Savior. I believe you raised him from the dead, and because he's alive, I can be alive in him as well. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that you're sending into my life. Help me to follow him that I might be more like Jesus. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for joining us. If you prayed that, please let us know at One New Man Ministries International on Facebook. Tell your friends about this podcast available on streaming platforms, and we hope you'll join us again next week.